guest today is someone that I know through the grapevine. I'll let him introduce himself. <laughs> so go is, for it. My name is Lucas Stovall. Uh, grew up in Madras. I moved over here to Sisters about sophomore year of high school. I've known Lane probably just before I moved here. I think I met you at your folks' archery store, right? Oh, man. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I forget about that from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me and Matthew used to shoot archery in like 4-H. We shot quite a bit and I think my okay. dad brought us over there like before we even moved here and I met you then. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> I spent a lot of time hanging out in that place. My parents like they put up couches and some TVs <laughs> and made it all nice and cozy. Yeah, it was a cool vibe. It did well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... How about you as an artist? I know you've done a lot of sketching that I really liked, and then you've been doing a lot of photography that I really like. So how did how did that transition come about? Come about? Um, well, I mean, I've done so many different art things growing up. I grew up around a lot of artists. My dad loved woodworking and sketching. My grandma was a painter, so I've been kind of like, I've always been around experimenting with different mediums, music woodworking painting so many different things you know mm-hmm. and i just kind of fell into photography my grandma bought me a camera for christmas and a dslr and i just kind of dove into it and I'd, I'd taken a photography class in high school but i wasn't really serious about it i just kind of learned the basics of a camera and how it worked and when i got that dslr i kind of just like fell in love with it and started taking classes at the community college and kind of just opened up more and more into the photography world. I started messing around with film photography now and I'm putting together my own dark room and kind of, I think that's my new favorite medium right now is dark room photography. So, nice. Yeah. Do you do much manipulation in the room? In the dark yeah. Room? That's what I like so much about dark room photography versus digital photography. Is that like, I like manipulating stuff with my hands more than sitting there on a computer, typing out keys or mm-hmm. messing with the mouse. Like, I don't know, something about art, I feel like you have to feel it, you know? And I feel like there's kind of a disconnection with technology. Yeah. <laughs> so, I like manipulating uh, chemicals, uh, the way the light hits the photographic paper, like just experimenting. Okay. Yeah, I'll put links in the notes to your work and stuff. But okay. would you mind like describing the imagery that you're going for? Uh, okay. I know you do a lot <laughs> with uh, skulls, animal skulls, yeah, and bones, yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, I'm a really big fan of H.R. Giger, uh, Francis Bacon, Salvador Dali. Kind of like, I'm really into the surrealist movement of like post World War II pre-world war ii mm-hmm. and like kind of the ideas behind of like the subconscious very freudian 
concepts and something about animal skulls they're very alien but familiar and kind of gives this dreamy effect which i love (laughs) yeah 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 the dreamy effect that's Mm -hmm. i like that a lot yeah with pretty much anything yeah 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 it kind of leaves it open to some interpretation and people can kind of find their own way in it i think yeah i think i don't know i think in con- in the social conscious right now, everything is so uh, pointed outwards. I feel like with my art, I'm trying to like get a little bit more introspective and trying to like focus on myself more than outward expression, you know, because I think a lot of people now are kind of speaking for others rather than speaking for themselves and looking inward. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's what I'm leaning more towards, especially like right now with the political sphere, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can see that a little bit, no doubt. (laughs) Oh, man, this coffee is good. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I spend a lot of time figuring out the perfect, like, amount. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And plus, it's the first official (laughs) coffee, black coffee I've had in a week and a half, so. (laughs) Oh, that's good. So you just just did a show, right? Yeah, uh, Liberty show? Art Gallery downtown Bend. It was it's my first like official show. Yeah, I'm I pretty didn't... excited about it. I've had a couple. I've had some entries at the college before for like mm-hmm. uh, student community shows, but this is my first actual show outside of school. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, last I heard from Liberty, they were booked for like three years or something like that. Yeah, they're... How did you get in there? <laughs> <laughs> My photography teacher put it together for us. She knows the oh, Liberty Art Gallery. Nice. Uh, curator person, whatever that title's called. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's probably a curatorial team that they have going on. I think yeah, it's a few yeah. women that run it. Mm-hmm. I've met them a few times. Yeah, my... My photography teacher, she's pretty, she knows quite a few people in the industry and community and she put it together and she's been pretty influential, I think, as far as getting, helping me get out there because I'm, I'm pretty closed off to that, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's all about who you know. Yeah, yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, I want to shout her out real quick. Paula Bullwinkle, you can find her on Instagram. She's freaking awesome. She worked with Andy Warhol. Uh, Yeah, she's she's really freaking cool. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been uh, working towards a degree in art or have you just been taking classes here and there? Um, Well, that's kind of a long story. (laughs) Go Uh, for it. (laughs) uh, Just out of high school, I was really motivated to go to the Art Institute in Portland, uh, the technical art school there. Mm -hmm. And I was leaning in towards a graphic design major there, but. Uh, I don't think I was quite mature enough yet to take on Portland. I mean, grown up in such a small town, then jumping yeah. into that uh, environment was kind of intimidating, and I didn't really go to school. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of blew it off and was exploring Portland too much, and mm. I didn't take it seriously, which I ended up coming back home and trying to figure things out again, figure out what I want to do. I ended up going to the community college changing my major multiple times, uh, psychology, business, a couple different science majors, kind of exploring, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. 
but all along the way I kept doing different art classes, different art classes, uh, photography, painting, drawing, like everything that there really is to offer, you know? Yeah. And I know art is what I want to do, but I don't know if like I want to pursue it in a academic sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat as that. Yeah. I've and I've I've been so wishy washy with what I want to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't go into college right away. Yeah, <laughs> probably would have changed my major like half a dozen times. Yeah, I feel that man, and, and wasted a lot of money doing it. <laughs> yeah, I've heard some horror stories. Oh man, luckily <laughs> I've been blessed with a good paying job and a family that supports it. I didn't have to take out like crazy student loans or anything. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I know someone that wants to go down to the school in Southern Oregon and spray paint how much they uh, spent on loans there. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) They're so pissed. (laughs) But I think part of it's just all in what you do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Even, I mean, no matter what you're going to school for, as long as you pursue it as much as possible then it'll pay off. Definitely. I mean, a lot of artists don't even have technical training. A lot of them just, it's about who you knew and how you got into the industry and promoting your art. You know, it's not about your technical ability as much as putting yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) And then it's been cool with my paintings, realizing while doing them, like what sort of technical training that I should have which I guess would be just kind of a basic figurative sort of uh, training, which I'm not very good at. Well, you're learning along the way still, though. I mean, everybody keep continues to learn through their art, right? <laughs> yeah. So what have you learned about photography then? Oh, man. <laughs> like, I've only been doing photography for probably four years now, and I'm still just learning so much. There's a lot of... There's a lot of technical learning, of course, and then there's your basic artistic elements, composition, light, contrast, all that, and learning how to use that in a photography perspective versus like a sketching background, which is what I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, like, just it's been a major learning experience, which is fun. <laughs> Does anything stick out as like? Pivotal, pivotal in that whole process of learning about it. Um, I would probably say like really understanding that light is the medium, not necessarily the camera, not necessarily mm. the paper, not necessarily the computer, not the programs. Light is the medium that you're working with, and understanding how to manipulate light. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's very. It's almost. Uh, uh, elemental, you know, mm-hmm. we're trying to manipulate uh, a medium that you see every day, but you don't see it as a medium, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Is that why you're drawn to black and white photography so much? Yeah. Because it's pretty obvious, like, where the light is in a black and white picture. Yeah, yeah. I think it also simplifies it for me because I'm terrified of color (laughs) color theory is a very intimidating thing and i try to even with my sketching i never really dove into color it was mostly uh charcoal or uh 
graphite sketches. Occasionally, mm-hmm. I would mess around with toned paper or something, but color's a scary thing. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's easy to get lost in the woods with color, I think. Mm-hmm. You can, like, go way too far with it. Mm-hmm. I got the advice early on uh, to limit my palette a lot. Oh, yeah. This one guy actually told me to just do black and white for a while, mm. which I didn't do. But I did black, white, and red, and shades of gray and shades of red, mm. and did that for a while. And then kind of realized that I need like a contrast to the red, so I got a little bit of a blue mixed in there with it. But I wonder, I don't even know if you can do that with photography, just like limit the amounts of color. Um, yeah, my digital camera, it's just a really basic DSLR. I'm not working with like some super high end, uh, like phase ones or mm-hmm. Mamiya's or something crazy. I'm just working with a basic entry level Nikon DSLR, Nikon, uh, I think it's a D5300 and it's nothing fancy, but there's this mode you can put it into, which is your uh, monochrome setting. You take pictures in black and white. You see them on the back of the screen in black and white. You get a feel for your lights, darks, contrast, depth, really well in black and white. And I Mm -hmm. try to get the settings perfect in black and white. And then when you upload them to your computer, you can change it back to color, which is cool. So you can get those... it's, it simplifies it for me, you know. You get those basic elements down before you are intimidated by color. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like blinders, putting blinders on. Yeah, and I think, like, art is such a... It's kind of an intimidating thing because there's so many different elements you can throw into it that if you break it down into steps and simplify it, it's so much easier, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um. Hmm. So, what steps have you broken it down into? Have you gone beyond the black and white, or I think you've done? Um. Uh, I feel like you've done some mirroring with images. Yeah. Have I seen that? Yeah, I've done a couple of different things. Uh, I've done some mirror imaging, which is just making two prints and then basically putting them together, opposite of each other. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. I've done. This thing called reverse negative prints is where you make a photo print, just normal black and white, uh, positive image, and then you, uh, it's kind of hard to explain, I guess, over a podcast without having a visual, but <laughs> I'll do my best. You uh, Give it a shot. Yeah, you take that uh, <laughs> print you make, and then you take another photo paper, and you lay that print on top of it, and then you expose the light through the paper, and it creates a negative of that image. And I've okay. played around with that quite a bit, and right now I'm really, I'm really digging this thing where I uh, do creative crops, which is like, excuse me, uh, you take a uh, different shapes and you lay them over the image or stencils and put them over the image and expose the paper and you get a stencil effect, a creative crop, like numbers, symbols, okay. whatever you want. And I've been really digging this one I made of uh, just three bars um, where uh, the negative, or I mean not the negative, the positive of the image is three bars and then the negative space is all just white. And this, just like the symbolism of the three, you know, trinities, 
that mm-hmm. kind of idea, the three bars, the monoliths aspect of it, like the mythology behind just a simple bar and the context that puts a new image into I like playing around with that quite a bit. Okay. Yeah. Does uh, mythology show up in any of your other works frequently or um, I'm kind of a, I'm a little bit of a history buff. I like art history. I like uh, historical events, like reading about history, um, especially mythology, um, philosophy, mm-hmm. <laughs> science. So I try to incorporate little ideas, not so blunt as like putting it down and saying this is a representation of this event or this myth mythos, you know, yeah. just kind of taking little elements, like uh, elements of skulls and classical art, you know. Yeah. Well, that's the cool thing about mythology Mm -hmm. is it's usually like imprinted on people's brains in a deeply subconscious, like archetypal level. That's what I love about it. So you don't even really need to explain it to get the emotion across, especially with something like skulls, which Mm -hmm. is a pretty powerful image. It just kind of evokes that from people. Mm -hmm. Just the animalistic, uh, animalistic impression of something dead. That's, in the image and you're like, whoa, yeah. what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, I love playing around with, uh, with symbolism quite a bit. And I think that kind of like goes back to the idea of like my inspirations of the, uh, uh, surrealist movement is like, it wasn't as much as conveying something and speaking something into the world as much as like getting Freudian, getting subconscious and mm-hmm. diving into dreams and stuff like that i like that yeah there's there's a quote i'm gonna break the rules and look at my phone (laughs) because i saw a quote from salvador dali the other day maybe it's just yesterday oh man there's so many quotable things he said i think my favorite is i don't do drugs i am drugs yeah that one's (laughs) a classic Mm. or there's two here Colored instantaneous photography of concrete irrationality. Oh, man. <laughs> He's really good at sounding and, heady. <laughs> um, systemization of confusion. I think mm. it was, like, affiliated with him trying to explain, like, surrealism or Dadaism or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I've heard a lot of people say that, like, he tried to make it sound like a science. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very scientific pieces of work. Mm-hmm. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're so fascinated with like Freudian psychology, you know, and mm-hmm. I feel like like the the self, the subconscious, and the conscious of what Freudian was talking Freud was talking about. Excuse me. It's not really something people are thinking about that much today. You know, they're mm-hmm. thinking more like oh what's the world coming to, you know, instead of looking inward. And I think that's something that's kind of missing in the broader scope of things right now. Yeah. (laughs) Have you looked into Carl Jung much? Carl Jung? Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard a lot about him. I haven't exactly looked into him yet. Like so much stuff has been out there of people talking about him recently, like Jordan Peterson and those types of figures, Mm -hmm. which I'm, I'm curious in. So I've been definitely wanting to dive into him. I've uh, I've wound up reading I think a couple books from him. Mm-hmm. I got introduced because while I was doing the mandalas, someone remarked and was like, "Hey, it kind of looks like what Carl Jung did." Mm-hmm. So I started looking into what he was talking about, 
and it goes deep with Carl Jung. He wrote like some nine or ten volumes of work. And he was a pupil of Freud for a while, mm-hmm. but I was just listening to a bunch of stuff about the the relationship between Freud and Jung, and it seems like even though Freud was like the elder of the two, he was influenced by Jung a lot more than Jung was influenced by Freud. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, Freud had some pretty pretty damn influential. Uh, pupils you know he, i think he definitely mm-hmm. took a lot from his pupils and kind of incorporated into his thing you know <laughs> yeah and uh i wouldn't surprise me if carl jung had a major influence on him just from the things that i've heard about his perspective yeah well and there's so many things that are commonplace in like our language nowadays like collective subconscious mm-hmm. that's young he came up with that um introversion extroversion that's young mm. um like all of the like mythology working on the subconscious level that's young mm-hmm. and he did a lot of really interesting stuff that is could easily translate to like artistic practice like with mm-hmm. uh automatic writing and he drew a mandala all of the well he was doing one a day during world war 1 he was like a, a medic in world war 1 and he thought that it was a mandala was the like expression subconscious expression of where the subconscious was at at that point in time Mm -hmm. and he saw that through the war looking back on his drawings about how like some would be really rigid some would be more fluid and whatnot Mm -hmm. and he was also really into studying uh weird shit (laughs) basically (laughs) and seeing like putting a scientific lens on it and trying to figure out how it worked psychologically Mm -hmm. because while he was coming around there was the there was a huge spiritism movement that like started in america and moved all over the world and it kind of like peaked before world war ii but his family was all into like trying to communicate with the dead and whatnot and he had a oh, nephew. Yeah, That's what I love so much about that post World War One, World War Two era is that like people always talk about the hippies being so heady and about being like woke and altruistic and yeah. moving the moving the conscious needle to a more personal perspective and socially conscious perspective. But people, I don't feel like give enough credit to the pre hippies, you know. The, uh, surrealists the philosophers oh, the yeah. psychologists <laughs> at least in the uh zeitgeist you know yeah. i mean i know intellectuals obviously understand their impact of that but well and speaking of zeitgeist like here's something that like was kind of tripping me out for a little while is salvador dali carl young albert hoffman you, do you know who that is yeah yeah okay so they were all in the same area at the same time doing mm-hmm. all of that all those different things that they're known for mm-hmm. it's like what the hell they're like within 50 miles of each other <laughs> man that is ah, but isn't that such a, like a, a dream man just to get like a collective of individuals together and just get dive into deep subjects together and mm-hmm. explore them together and really grow the uh the culture yeah. through that man well and who knows <laughs> if they even talked but just like the zeitgeist what you're talking about mm. like the collect- oh, collective like, subconscious they must have at least known each other you know or knew of each other and knew of each other's ideas like 
I would hope. They were, they, were, of, they, were, they were too close to not. <laughs> I kind of fantasized that they were all met in like a coffee shop. And oh, was yeah. Like talking about all the crazy shit that they were finding out about. I'm like, oh, my God, I got to mm. work this into what I'm doing. Mm. <laughs> but it, it pops up all the time, like with grunge ha- popping out of Seattle and no out of nowhere and like all these little movements or big movements that just started in little places within a bunch of people that knew each other. Mm-hmm. And then you think that's possible like a today? Influential thing. You know, that's a difficult question mm-hmm. because everyone is so globalized with mm-hmm. ideas and does it have enough whatnot. time to kind of uh, foster into something so powerful? You think? Yeah, I think it's or possible, is... but it kind of, I feel like it happens on a smaller scale. Yeah. Like you'll get, like the Billie Eilishes that pop up every once in a while. Yeah, she was a pretty big surprise. She kind of came like, out of nowhere. <laughs> they like hit this chord somewhere that's something new, a little bit different, but people are like, oh my God, that's exactly what I was thinking mm-hmm. or what I was feeling or yeah, whatever kinda, form it takes. I'm kind of scared that I think can't, like that kind of zeitgeist moment is kind of hard to find now because everything is so globalized. Like, does it have time to kind of be birthed into something larger or is it just like thrown into the world and almost instantly commercialized because it's like recognized as something a little different so people are going to gravitate gravitate towards it instantly and rather let it grow before it becomes something larger you know i don't know (laughs) i'm not a professional but uh like from what i've seen i feel like it kind of gets absorbed quickly. Mm-hmm. So it never winds up being a huge like torrent of a style and a sound all coming at once. Mm-hmm. And you just get like, um, like you mentioned Jordan Peterson, like he blew up out of nowhere oh, and become, became like a millionaire overnight. Oh, my God. And, um, <laughs> and then it kind of just uh, gets ignored. A little bit, because everyone's got such a short um, attention span. Attention span, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of like, oh, I know about that. That already that happened and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, next? I've been feeling that way for sure. I've been trying to get away from social media because of that. You know, everything is so fast paced now. Like, oh yeah, it's one one controversy to the next right now. You know, <laughs> yeah, I had to step um, away from it, man. I couldn't take it. <laughs> I get I get wrapped up like every once in a while I'll wind up on Twitter for a couple hours and be like oh my god mm-hmm. everything's weird yeah, it's almost apocalyptic and, and then, then you I'll, get off and you're like wait yeah. it's not that bad <laughs> no and then I'll forget about Twitter for like a week and be like oh I need to post on there because that's what I'm supposed to do or something dude. yeah <laughs> gotta keep that social media presence <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but I like Instagram. Yeah, I'm probably addicted to Instagram. Yeah, dude, I was I was really addicted. I still am. I'm I'm a functioning addict now. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, I've I still have all my social media, but I leave it on my iPad and leave my iPad at home. So I don't have it on my phone. I don't have it constantly at work. I'm not checking it 24 seven. Like, yeah, you know, I, iPads yeah. and Apple products tell you how much screen time you have now. Mm-hmm. When they first came out with that, it was like four hours, five hours, or something like that. I was like, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? It's a part and time job. I, <laughs> if I got paid to be on there, man, holy crap. <laughs> but I've cut that down to like 
two hours now, and I'm pretty stoked about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good to compartmentalize it. And you know what helps, too, is um, turning monochrome on on your phone. Yeah, I've heard a because... lot of people doing that now. Yeah, all the colors are designed to be stimulating and keep you on there. Yeah. Yeah, I bet people are going to look back on today like people were giving out this digital drug. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Unregulated digital drug. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. I'm also kind of like a cyberpunk sympathizer, so I kind of hope oh, like, yeah. <laughs> everything would just get even weirder. <laughs> Blade Runner style. Or... <laughs> yeah, TV screens everywhere. Mm. Oh, be interesting. <laughs> Have you seen any good movies lately? No. <laughs> I mean, there's a few out there I've been seeing, but nothing that's really blowing me away right now. <laughs> yeah. Like... Blade Runner 2049 was pretty freaking cool, but that came out a couple years ago now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're on about the same speed as I am. I'll yeah. yeah. like a movie every couple months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I watched the new Tarantino one. I haven't seen I saw the that new Blade one. Runner one, though. The new Blade Runner is definitely... I think people are really sleeping on that director, man. I know he's won like an Oscar and stuff, but people aren't really putting his name into the zeitgeist, you know? Well, what's his name? <laughs> I think uh, I it's kind of hard to say. Name. I don't want to really try to pronounce it. <laughs> Denise Villan Villanueva or Villanueva or something like that. Okay. It's, it's a hard one to pronounce. <laughs> There's a couple of those. But he's, <laughs> he's an incredible director. He did Enemy, Prisoners, um, Arrival, Blade Runner, okay. Sicario. He really understands cinematic language very well, and I don't. Pe I don't think people give him the credit he deserves for that right now. Yeah, I don't think people give uh, film the credit it deserves for just like the inspirational uh, yeah. possibility for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's so commercialized right now, especially with like the multiple comic book movies a year that's so yeah. uh, cookie cutter homogenized basically the same story like people don't really think about it as much as an art form in the pop culture sense you know like they do see oh, it yeah. as an art but it's not like it's not something that is uh what am i looking for like juicy yeah juicy <laughs> like Something that makes you think as much. You know? Yeah, no, there's lots of <laughs> there's lots some, of there's something missing. Yeah. Tight, tight clothes and stuff. Mm. But it's I a good like, escape. But yeah, sometimes you want to escape into your own thoughts. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I go to the theater very occasionally. Like I saw the Tarantino movie because I knew that was out. Mm -hmm. But other than that, like none of it's really interesting to me. Yeah, and I feel like it kind of, fortunately, like it gets siloed in the theories, the theaters, <laughs> and that's where all the commercialism stays. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of like dive off into Netflix land and Amazon Prime land and see yeah. like I've definitely some art house definitely leaned more into that, man. I think there's some some great stuff happening over there in the excuse me <laughs> in the indie world. I think that's where it. Things are really going to start happening. There's always been good stuff happening there. Have you mm -hmm. heard of the movie Primer? I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it yet. Primer's a good I've one. I've heard That's a lot a good of good time things travel about it. one. Yeah. Um, and really, like, 
it was one that kind of blew my mind because I assumed that if you're going to do like something science fiction or like time travel, it's like, well, you're going to need a big budget. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, (laughs) they figured it out. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it's super compelling. I get, do you get much inspiration from movies, whatnot? Indie movies? I love, I really do love movies. I watch, I used to watch them way too much. (laughs) Uh, big sci-fi fan big horror fan i feel like Mm -hmm. that's where my inspiration leans towards especially just artistically like the darker side of the human consciousness not to sound too pretentious (laughs) no that's all right it's totally allowed here (laughs) um that's part of the reasons why i started this podcast so i can be pretentious yeah yeah. (laughs) uh yeah, I get like same sort of thing. Horror and science fiction kind of gets me in that dreamy headspace, mm-hmm. and then I, I don't know. It's a very abstract inspiration that I get from it, mm-hmm. but I feel more compelled to go and make stuff after that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Instead of like watching a a Marvel movie or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even then, I can't. Maybe it was one of the Thor movies or something. One of the early ones where they spent a lot of time over in uh, whatever world Thor is from in that universe. Mm-hmm. Like, even that's pretty cool. They had some cool imagery, like, cool set design. Yeah, Although there's... I'm sure it was all CGI. Yeah, there's some <laughs> there's some really cool artistic elements in those movies, but I think story-wise, they're really lacking. <laughs> no, it's just, yeah, it's just your basic, mm. your basic story that you get. Mm-hmm. Make some quick uh, pop culture references and hip jokes and you got hit. <laughs> That's the thing I hate the most is when they're cracking jokes and like the fight scenes, <laughs> which I know, I know they're trying to be true to the comic books and the comic books pulls that out, mm-hmm. but it just breaks the vibe for me. I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah. come on. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see like the Hulk crack a joke. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even funny. so what other movies are you into um i've been trying to find good cyberpunk movies i just watched like it's the first movie i've watched in like probably a couple months i watched eon flux i've heard that's pretty cool man. i haven't seen it yet it's not bad i mean it came out in like 2005 so you get all that baggage Mm. and it's like an MTV film. Like I forgot that MTV made movies. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it had a good premise to it. Uh, the, like, I feel like all throughout that time, early two thousands, you're going to get the weird, like make out and sex scenes that seem completely out of place. Mm. So you get a couple of those. And then, uh, the real like nerdy shit, like, people having hands for feet like the heavy metal aesthetic of old heavy metal books you know what i'm talking about uh um i don't think so the i know the the book heavy metal is that what you're talking about or isn't there a comic book yeah there's like a comic book from back in the day that had like these cool uh illustrations of like um it kind of like helped bird this cyberpunk aesthetic you know what i'm talking about like i think uh ridley scott said that it helped him it helped influence Blade Runner and Alien, like the that world. 
Okay, I should yeah. probably check that out. Then. It's pretty cool. There's an old old heavy metal movie. It's an animated movie. It's pretty badass. I've seen that one around. <laughs> yeah. I always you I gotta always, watch that, dude. I, it's a trip. <laughs> that, okay, I'm glad I have that recommendation because mm. I always just wrote it off as like, oh, that's just some old weird movie. It is. It is old <laughs> and it is weird, but it's freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's not. That's they need to make that. more movies like that, man. <laughs> uh. Have you ever made any like short films? I've experimented with film. Um, I grew up skateboarding, so I wasn't any good at skateboarding, but I was always <laughs> the dude with the camera filming the guys that were good at skateboarding. Nice. So I've made, um, that's kind of what got me into film was like just filming buddies. And I've made some kind of um, like artistic time lapses, just watching light movements and stuff like that. Just. Nothing too crazy, but a little bit okay. of experimenting with it. Video's hard. There's yeah. so many elements. Like you're co- incorporating space and time into photography elements. And mm-hmm. There's just so much going on that it's kind of hard to wrap wrap your head around sometimes. So kind of. Yeah. I know I've I've done I've recorded one music video from beginning to end. Oh yeah. It turned out all right. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have the total complete vision to do that. And then um, Dalton did another music video that was like way better <laughs> that <laughs> I did hard, lighting man. for. Yeah. But some people just got that that visual knack; they can kind of see it all stitched together. Yeah, yeah. You just gotta break it down, right? <laughs> just, I guess so. <laughs> it's, there's so much to break down in video, though. Are you still playing music? Still um, playing guitar? Not so much. No, I remember you used to. I um, be pretty kick ass on the guitar, man. I'm all right. <laughs> Yeah. I'm uh, uh, trained on jazz guitar mm-hmm. just enough to know mu- how much further I need to go to be good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's always very masochistic mm-hmm. for me when I'm playing music, especially <laughs> if I'm trying to make something on my own. Like I'll be trying to make some just ridiculously huge like progressive metal song or something like that. And just hate myself throughout the whole time. <laughs> um, I still enjoy playing with other people from time to time, but I've actually I've been getting rid of all my equipment except my acoustic guitar, partially because I'm planning on driving two thousand miles, yeah. and I don't want to <laughs> to move, so I don't want to have like storage units and all that bullshit. Yeah, yeah. So I've been scaling down, but also. I got a sandwich thrown at me. <laughs> what? <laughs> what kind of I sandwich? Was, um, <laughs> it was a it was a McDonald's sandwich. Uh, uh, what was it? Uh, a cheese, just a ham and <laughs> cheese breakfast sandwich. Um, no, I was playing in a group, and one dude was like, he's a pretty big egomaniac, and uh, yeah, it eventually came to a head. When we were going to practice, and he like just like grabbed the fucking sandwich super aggressively, and took a bite out of it after I offered to like <laughs> buy him one because they're a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, "What? Is, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, uh, I just said I would buy you one." He's like, oh, "I just wanted a bite," <laughs> and got all aggro over it, and. Um, yeah, threw it at me while I was driving down the road. So, oh, man. <laughs> uh, we haven't spoken since, and I quit the band. <laughs> oh, man. 
so that left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, no, I think I'm just going to stick to my paintings for a while. Yeah. That's kind of what I like about uh, painting and photography. You kind of like, you get to do it on your own, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you can incorporate other people into that aspect, but it's kind of weird working with other people when our musicians are very... It gets peculiar. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> and what really sucked is that band was going great. Like all of us really jived really well. I really loved the other guy. He was great. Mm-hmm. He, it was mainly his project. Mm-hmm. But then we just got this one egomaniac. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I like about visual mediums. Like <clears throat> incorporate other people, get their ideas. But ultimately it comes down to you going and doing it yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm hmm. Until you got a show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you got to find a show. Mm-hmm. That, uh, then you got to deal with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what are your, like, what are your experiences trying to get out there? Have you been trying to put yourself out there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, right now I've been focusing a lot on just getting my a body of work put together. Yeah. 30 different pieces has been my goal, which I'm... At like 18, 15 to 18 that I like. Mm-hmm. So once I get to that, like kind of make a portfolio and start going around and acting like more of a professional. Yeah. Other than that, I've just been basically making friends as much as possible with people that own galleries. But in Bend, there's like two... People (laughs) that own galleries that would even consider showing my work. Mm -hmm. So, in such small rural communities, it's like so driven towards a specific aesthetic. You know, like excuse me again, (laughs) the uh, the rural aspect of it. You know, people want the pictures of the mountains. People want the pictures Mm -hmm. of the horses. You know, (laughs) get a lot of that. Yeah, get a lot of that. But I have had. Um, good experiences with like record shops, coffee shops. Yeah. I've had my work up in the record store and another restaurant and none of it's sold at the restaurant. Um, someone did pick up some business cards. So that, that's pretty cool. That means something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, they never contacted me, but someone was interested. Yeah, man. That's Um, awesome. Probably one of my biggest mistakes is I really overpriced the pieces yeah, that's so easy to do. Like, you've and invested so much time and effort in doing it. It means this to you, this amount to you. But yeah. And I think it's, <laughs> like, they're they're worth that much, mm-hmm. but just not right now because mm-hmm. I don't have a name, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I think the most expensive one up there was, like, 1500 bucks. 1500 bucks, like, $500. For, mm-hmm. But it was, like, a five-by-four-foot painting. That's pretty good size. I mean, and it turned out really nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what I've been struggling with is like figuring out how to price work. That's something I feel like there should be like some kind of some kind of program or class that teaches you how to work as a professional in the art world. You know, mm-hmm. there's so many talented artists out there that just don't know how to be a professional. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like someone to give me some information about it. Yeah. I mean, it takes just a little business acumen, which is mm. easily learned. But mm. I think with pricing works at the very beginning, uh, it comes down to a few different factors of like how big it is, how much time you have in it, 
and like cost of materials. Mm-hmm. So you're lucky if you're a photographer because <laughs> the time you have in it can be really low. At and least the, digital photography. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the price to uh, the price to like make a print is pretty low. Mm. Um, you can make pretty big ones though. So you kind of go off of that for a little while and just kind of guess it. But then, I mean, once you start selling paintings for a thousand bucks or more, it's kind of, uh, I forget the exact terminology for it, but whatever someone paid you last, like the most expensive painting that you sold is now like the going rate. Mm-hmm. So use that. And then I know from talking to some other more experienced professional artists, they um they can't really sell their paintings for cheaper than what they usually sell for because collectors get mad mm-hmm. and they'll start to realize like oh i just i bought this painting 10 years ago for 3 grand from this guy and now he's selling them for 1000 bucks like mm-hmm. i better get rid of this crap mm-hmm. <laughs> and it drives the value of your paintings down yeah dude that but getting started is difficult that, uh, that part of the art world is so alien to me you know oh it's a it's mainly fraud yeah yeah. (laughs) it's uh (laughs) such like a kind of like a muzzle money embezzling scheme type thing where you're just trying to put some put some income somewhere that you can sell later if you need to and kind of like hide a revenue stream if you want (laughs) yeah i mean there's a bit of that but it's also uh there's just a lot of fraudsters and stuff in the art world and then once you get to like sotheby's auctions and whatnot mm-hmm. like have you seen that piece that banksy tried to shred yeah at the <laughs> sotheby's thing the point he was trying to make is yeah my little print's gonna sell for like fifty thousand dollars that i sold for like maybe five hundred dollars mm-hmm. and he's not getting a cut of any of that no all that money goes to the previous owner man banksy is such a an interesting character because so much of his work is based on like that anti-capitalistic mentality of like mm-hmm. why the hell are you buying this piece of work for so much you know i mean he, the whole idea of the graffiti world is basically based on that principle and yeah like, how do you how do you rebel against that system when you try to destroy something and it's worth more <laughs> now <laughs> well i mean yeah, that was kind of the cruel joke with that piece because it yeah. didn't fully shred mm-hmm. and it got stuck halfway. So it was instantly worth like three times as much as the guy just bought it for. Even if it was fully <laughs> destroyed, dude, somebody would have put the pieces on a board, mounted them together, maybe separated a little bit and sold it for even more then. Like even if you destroyed Probably. it, someone's going to pick it up and sell it for more anyways. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that gets into the whole theory of the avant-garde. Mm-hmm. I've been uh, researching a lot of that because I want to do a little bit of a art history podcast. So That'd be fun. Some notes stacked up over there. Yeah, dude, I got some art history books and, if you um, want to borrow them from taking some classes at the college. They're pretty, there's some awesome stuff in those. Yeah, send me some of the titles. <laughs> I've, right. been, uh, I've been in the middle of a book uh, called Theory of the Avant-Garde by Peter Berger. Mm. I think a, f- a French philosopher. Um, and it's pretty good. I have been like, it's one of those books to where the introduction, which was written by another guy is like 50 pages long. Oh, so I just got through the introduction. I but, almost always skip introductions. <laughs> oh, you can't. 
<laughs> you can't unless it's like unless it's like a fictional piece. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the times, the introduction is like what you gotta know to be able to understand the, the work that's coming up. Yeah, but it's a lot about the history of like classical art. Classical art's such a huge term. You'll have to send that to but, me, man. Um, that sounds pretty cool, though. I love, I love learning about historical art. <laughs> yeah, I'll send it to you. But uh, yeah, it kind of it kind of overviews how art became an institution because you know, like in antiquity, like pre pre antiquity, a lot of it was like religious stuff for religious means, and then it kind of got to a point in I don't know, like thirteenth, fourteenth century, where it was kind of furthering people's propaganda or like furthering their reputation, and then artists started being like hired by families to do work for them and then eventually it started to get more privatized and then aestheticism came up and it went away from like the the artistic prowess necessary to make really fancy classic pieces Mm -hmm. and into more of stuff that kind of looked cool and people would sell those Mm -hmm. and then that goes on for a while through a bunch of different phases and then you get modern art mm-hmm. and then it just explodes from like cubism to Dadaism to surrealism and all of these different avant-garde movie movements that are really trying to like tear down people's conception of art as an institution mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff, which ironically usually does the opposite and like just furthers the institution and like body of philosophical work behind art and mm-hmm. whatnot definitely <laughs> which it's an interesting progression mm-hmm. I, I don't think i mean unless you're just gonna take like some sort of anarchistic route and just start destroying pieces of work <laughs> <laughs> well they make that earth art i have a friend uh travis williams on instagram he is the traveling man uh okay. he's a hippie character he's got like pretty good background and just exploring the world and hippie stuff (laughs) (laughs) and uh he does rock stacking and like earth art and it's not permanent art it's temporary you only get to see it for a certain Mm -hmm. amount of time and then it falls over it degrades and i think that's really a cool aspect of like the new modern art direction that's being taken you know you can't sell it Mm -hmm. you can't reproduce it (laughs) <laughs> yeah 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 i like that mm. i'm trying to i felt like i had something to add to something that i've seen about like temporary stuff like that but mm-hmm. i don't think i do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the weird thing about visual mediums though like they're kind of permanent music or earth art or uh, something that's mm. not permanent. Like you know, theater, like maybe. Theater, even. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know it exists, but it only exists in that moment that it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> you know? only, even in a, even music, like if it's on a CD or your iPhone or whatever, it only exists when you're listening to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been thinking about that a little bit. Mm. It's kind of like goes back to the... Uh, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it, did it actually fall sort mm-hmm. of question? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's 
pretty perplexing. I mean, even visual mediums are that way too. If you're not seeing it, it doesn't necessarily exist to you, but it's like made of real material, you know, mm -hmm. where music is waves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah, that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> <laughs> How um, does does that influence your work at all? Like thinking about uh, your buddy Travis, the traveling man. Yeah, the traveling man. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it definitely does. I'm kind of, I guess a lot of my work kind of deals with the concepts of uh, entropy and oblivion and kind of like the passing of time and knowing that nothing is permanent and that I guess that's kind of kind of my way of dealing with the impermanence of it you know, you know? Mm. <laughs> I don't know really how to explain it without sounding pretentious <laughs> that's okay <laughs> see I know that I've been kind of stuck in this thinking because you know how everyone kind of wants to leave their mark and whatnot like build a oh, legacy yeah. and and I know how f just kind of useless that is because yeah, everything it, it is so feels temporary. So selfish, but, but everybody wants it. <laughs> I get driven by it so much, mm -hmm. and that's probably like my, I mean, yeah, it's probably my biggest driving point, fortunately or unfortunately. I think that's a, <laughs> definitely an artist's thing. <laughs> probably, probably. Everyone wants to feel like they're doing it because, oh, I love it, I love this, you know, I'm just doing it because it's my expression but everybody wants to leave their mark at least a little bit. <laughs> yeah. See, I know I I know that I'm an artist like because when I'm not creating something for per, for an extended amount of time, like I start to go a little crazy. Mm -hmm. But um that's about it. Like I want to make some money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I that's totally uh, get that. Yeah, and there's there's a fine line to be rode there between like just selling yourself out and actually making something mm. cool. And I think I've been doing an all right job at it, but I know that's always a pitfall to fall into mm. the commercialism. I mean, sometimes I feel like fucking I'm gonna sell out big time. I'm gonna go join this media conglomerate and figure out how to step in the door and just make mass produced crap because mm. <laughs> that's where the money is <laughs> but other times we're like no that's not fulfilling yeah. money's cool but i want something fulfilling you but know it's I funny that you mention money. that the <laughs> landlord here has an art business oh yeah <laughs> you didn't you guys didn't see the air quotes that i just did um and it's uh kind of neat <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, that's a that's a tough tightrope to walk, man. <laughs> yeah, that stuff just get dense. It, it gets dense. It just reminds me of like all the the bullshit you're going to see at like Walmart in under the art section or hobby oh, lobby. Yeah. Which like, there's cool art. stuff in there, but my buddy makes this really cool personal art. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so much more and I feel like this is one thing that a lot of people don't understand. It's so much more fulfilling to have artwork that you know the story behind. Mm -hmm. And it's not just some like piece of wood that you found in a department store that you're like, oh, that looks kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And it probably does look kind of cool, but there's no history to it. Like you're just going to leave it at a at a donation center or like throw it away in a couple of years. Yeah. But... um. I just had a friend that commissioned a couple pieces of art 
And um, it's interesting how she caught on to that because she had like one of her artist friends in the past like made a piece for her or just made a piece and gave it to her, one of the two. And she eventually sold it at one point in time, got rid of it. And then she, like, it sucked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's like, felt like basically a little piece of that person was gone. Yeah. Yeah, my, my girlfriend here kind of experienced something like that the other day. She's a uh, an abstract painter as well. And she had given as a gift to somebody some incredible pieces. Mm-hmm. And they chose to sell them instead of keep them. <laughs> which it's they terrible. gave her so many compliments about how great it was and everything but they still chose to sell it you know yeah. i mean that'll happen <laughs> yeah which in some ways it's kind of a compliment you know they're saying like oh your stuff is worth something you know <laughs> i guess so you just gotta go to wherever they sold it and then uh, have someone buy it for like a thousand dollars and then show up you show up later and be like, oh, I'm the artist. Uh, would you like to buy any more of these to sell? <laughs> <laughs> I heard a story. Someone started a clothing brand like that. Like they got, they um, got one shot shop to like take a chance. Mm-hmm. Be like, oh, you sh- our artwork's going to take, our clothing's going to take off. And then they they got accepted and they had a bunch of friends go in there and buy them all in like the first day That's awesome. <laughs> and so they started going around to other shops around california and whatnot and being like yeah we're selling our clothes like crazy like you totally want to buy them and just call this one shop like mm-hmm. they've been flying off the shelves and um they're doing really well now that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) they just got that one little loophole sort of scheme that they did to get Mm. their stuff out front and center and Mm -hmm. people to look at it yeah i think artists are great schemers man (laughs) you gotta be a little bit Mm -hmm. picasso was Mm -hmm. big time (laughs) that's what i love so much about him he's he's always thinking about the next the next scheme (laughs) yeah yeah, in that sense, he was kind of an asshole, but he was a genius. Mm-hmm. I think all a- <laughs> all geniuses are a little bit assholes. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Mm. Although, like you're you're either like a little bit of an asshole, or you just don't know how to be a human being. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're a nice person. <laughs> like at the Francis same time. Bacon, he was so so awkward and off putting that people just thought he was an asshole, but he was just yeah unsocialable <laughs> yeah that or you can you can just go down the list like albert einstein like, yeah <laughs> he's always like wearing the wrong clothes like they never went together yeah. <laughs> his house was a mess you got to be a little eccentric <laughs> yeah i think so that's what uh i use that excuse authentically when I, eccentric though you don't want to be fake <laughs> i use that excuse when i gotta clean stuff up i'll be like nah i don't need to do that i'm an artist yeah <laughs> Yeah, sometimes, man, I think, like, do I just got to start acting like a fucking lunatic in order to get some attention around here, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, sometimes I can just do that naturally. <laughs> when I, I've got, like, I've got a solid persona built up. I can yeah. act I can act proper and whatnot. But when, like, I get really loose with, like, some close friends, mm. like, oh, where did that come from? <laughs> stuff that down further basically (laughs) that's funny yeah it's all part of the journey i Mm -hmm. guess yep (laughs) 
Yeah. We've been going for about an hour now. About an hour. I'm just yeah, curious because she has a, a tattoo appointment. So. Oh, tattoo appointment. You can't miss that. What time are you supposed to be there? Three. Okay, yeah, we got plenty of time. So. Three? Oh, yeah, it's only one. Yeah, we got plenty of you're, time. You're stuck here for hours more. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> Did you notice on the door there's no deadbolt? You, you got to have a key to get out. I didn't notice that. That's funny. <laughs> huh. No. <laughs> Yeah, I'm why just is kidding. Like the door that? is completely unlocked. <laughs> I don't know why it's like that. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just kind of like maybe that's going to be a reoccurring theme on this podcast. Yeah, who? Where I who? try to make it seem like when it's like an hour in, it's like getting close to the the second half. I'm like, no, you're locked here. You're stuck here. <laughs> I've you're been watching Mine Hunter, man. I know what happens with doors like that. <laughs> oh. I've seen that pop up on YouTube. I haven't seen it though, dude. It's what's it about? Um, it's about how the FBI uh, developed the system for profiling serial killers. It's it's mm. based on the the true stories of it off the book Mindhunter. I'm pretty sure, and uh, uh, it was uh, produced by David Fincher. So you know that's gonna be good. Okay, <laughs> it's pretty cool. The characters are fictional, but it's all based on the reality of how they developed it which is okay. really cool yeah that's pretty cool mm-hmm. every every once in a while when i dip my toe into the world of like the crazy fbi shenanigans mm. <laughs> it's it's pretty compelling yeah i don't yeah. go very deep down that rabbit hole because i can i i don't know maybe i just get i think distracted. it's i think you'll probably find it pretty cool because it's more like it's a little bit more heady than like most uh cop procedural procedural uh, shows are like CSI mm-hmm. or something like that. It's a little bit more like towards the beginning of it where they're talking about the philosophical ideas, the psychological ideas of it rather than like, oh, I'm going to type into the computer. I don't know. Look, this is the this is the evidence here. And it points to mm-hmm. this guy over here. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to incorporate that into plots a lot. Mm-hmm. Like even with that show mr robot who i haven't i've not seen much of it but it's like a a hacker show Mm -hmm. but they don't really like they can't work the hacking aspect into it other than like the physical like running around and doing stuff and logging into computers and hotels how do you express that that? stuff (laughs) but it's cool when people pull off uh the 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 backing like techniques that are used and whatnot and that sort yeah. of stuff. Mm. Especially if it's real. Yeah. That's yeah. when it gets interesting to me. Yeah. I definitely like stuff that's a little more grounded in reality. Like even with the sci-fi that I like, like uh, Blade Runner or stuff like that. It's like mm-hmm. still has such a human quality to the storytelling. It's not just about like, crazy spectacle you know yeah well the human elements something that you're always gonna have Mm -hmm. throughout even if it's a science fiction thing yeah and that's like the core of science fiction right you're trying to tell Mm -hmm. or tell or reflect on something that's current through different lenses what's your favorite sci-fi books or movies books or movies we got blade runner blade runner's on the list yeah blade runner is definitely on the list both of them (laughs) both of them mm-hmm. go see blade runner 2049 
<laughs> Noted. Yeah. I've, I've, it's been on my list. <laughs> I'm one of those people, someone will recommend a movie, and I'll be like, oh, I'm going to watch that. Mm-hmm. And then um, a year goes by, I'm like, ah, and then I finally get around yeah. to watching it. <laughs> I'm, I'm the same way. I do, you don't want to go into something that's been... The hype's been built up so big, you know. And that's yeah, what I, that's true. That's one thing I don't like about these big blockbusters that are so popular right now. It's like everyone builds them up so high, and then when you watch them, you're like, eh, it was okay. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> wait for it to die down a little bit. Yeah, to appreciate yeah. it. Mm. Science fiction stuff. Okay. What's on your mind? Um, the first Alien movie is like my number one movie probably like that's my go-to mm-hmm. like i mean i'm not proud of it but my parents let me watch a lot of those movies when i was way too young so <laughs> it's definitely ingrained in in my uh men- nice. mentality you know like i love that's where i was first experienced to hr giger you know do you know hr mm-hmm. giger just the name just the name oh, dude. he's he basically has really fostered the identity of like evil entities in sci-fi from the borg to the sentinels and matrix to the alien like he has this weird i think he called it a biomechanical like he incorporates like kind of like a machine aesthetic into like an organic form Mm -hmm. he was really into that and he's got some pretty prolific stuff i love it okay (laughs) that's kind of what check that out yeah that's what my sketches lean towards more is like i mean he's even got a descriptive word in a dictionary for it called Giger-esque. You know, okay. He's got his own <laughs> vernacular for it. <laughs> That's probably when you know you're onto something. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, someone comes up with a word to describe it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I think he's so cool. <laughs> nice. Have you gotten into... Um, really what I'm trying to do is fish for this particular title that I can't remember of a cyberpunk thing. Do you know any other cyberpunk stuff off the top of your head? Not off the top of my head. Cyberpunk's not really <sighs> a big genre. <laughs> I know it, it's it's um some of it's just not very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's all about aesthetic rather than story for a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of aesthetic to it. Mm-hmm. But when um it's done well, I think it's usually done really well. I mm-hmm. really love it when cyberpunk's done well, and that's kind of like one of the missions in the back of my head is to do something cyberpunk that's actually good. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, man, I cannot remember this one book. Yeah, I'm going to Google it. It's going to drive me nuts. But I read it a while ago, and it was kind of about, like, uh, um, artificial intelligence and, like, hacking and kind of, like, that getting... Um, really far out there like um, have you heard of the Hyperion Cantos by Dan Simmons no what is that have you heard of Dan Simmons I've heard the name but I don't know who he is <laughs> yeah you'll love the guy he's he's horror and science fiction those okay. are his two genres he did like he did a vampire book that was really fucking good <laughs> and um, totally not like diluted vampire stuff but like he kind of like came up with this mind vampire sort of idea mm. where people are like feeding off of your mind and like influencing you mm. basically or like controlling people through like concept. some power that they wind up with. And um, 
yeah, like takes place in the eighties. I think because it was written in the eighties, it's supposed to be like current day, but that's what it oh, takes yeah. place. <laughs> that was really good. But he has this Hyperion Cantos and it has a really cool like it's super just high science fiction, way in the future. And there's uh a plot mechanic in it where one of the one of the like characters i guess or there's like a suite of characters that are these artificial intelligences that live in the future internet basically i can't remember the name of it and um it's kind of a world where um like people's minds are being able to be copied and like uploaded to this web and people are living in this different sphere Hmm. and like there's all sorts of weird interactions going on between that sphere of things and the physical reality and uh I, there's four books i made it through half the way of the last one and got bored <laughs> and then i talked and this was like a few years ago and i was talking to a friend he's like oh dude you stopped halfway through that one he's like you gotta finish it <laughs> so now i've been trying to finish it again now, do, you, do you read a lot of books and, um yeah yeah, the mm. way I read books is a lot of them at once very slowly. Yeah. I wind up jumping between a bunch. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, like I tried to read Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. Have you heard of that one? No, I don't do a lot of reading, dude. <laughs> that book is um, just... I kind of... I had a... So, growing up, I had this issue where it took me forever to read. Mm-hmm. Teachers and doctors thought I was dyslexic forever, but I had like this thing where uh, when I try to scan something horizontally... Uh, my eyes have a problem where they twitch, so mm, it, I couldn't read growing up forever. It took me forever to figure out how to read. <laughs> so yeah. I kind of when I listen when I read a book, I usually listen to it. That's, I mean, in my opinion, just as legitimate. Yeah, you're, you're basically reading them. <laughs> I've uh, speaking of weird visual phenomena, I have visual snow. Have you ever heard of that? Is that like the weird floaties that you get? Um. No, no, kind of, but no, it's like, you know, classic TVs when there's no signal, you get like the screen with all the white and black noise. It's like, imagine that overlaid over everything, Hmm. but really lightly. And it gets like a little bit worse at night. Well, now that you mentioned that now looking at your work, I could totally see. Yeah, there's probably a little bit of that in there. (laughs) And, um. Uh, like I used to have really weird um, sleep apnea as a kid. Yeah. I don't even really remember it that well, but my mom would say that I'd be like freaking out and saying there's like ants crawling all over my wall. Oh man, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> light ants. Like fever and dream so, stuff. Pretty much, but that's like basically what I, the visual snow stuff is you'd have like little dots crawling all over the wall at night. Hmm. It's really weird. There's no... Uh, there's only very little research on it. No one knows what it's what it's from or where it comes from. Hmm. Um, it seems to be exacerbated by psychedelic use, hmm. um, but that's about it. That's all people know. I remember I watched this video on YouTube about a guy who was talking about the contrast between a schizophrenic and a depressive person, hmm. and they were saying that like schizophrenic, like the early thinking about schizophrenia is that it was just too much sensory input and the brain couldn't process it like it didn't have any filters so i'm wondering huh. like that kind of sounds similar to it you know yeah i'm probably <laughs> schizophrenic 
<laughs> well, no, I don't think that's what they think about schizophrenia anymore. <laughs> but <laughs> that was no. in a, an, one of the original ideas about it. it was that it's just sensory overload. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did Freud do much with schizophrenic patients? I can't remember. Um, I know Jung did. I haven't really looked into Freudian psychology in a while, so it's hard to remember a lot about what I read about him. But yeah, I, I mean, he did so much. Like I'm sure he did yeah. a lot with him. <laughs> well, to bring it back full circle, I know the one thing that Jung noticed because he, like, I think his doctoral dissertation was on schizophrenia mm. or um, whatever the weird term they had for it was back in like the twenties. Or no, even before the 20s, like around the turn of the century, like the 10s. But um, he started to notice that a lot of people just assumed that the schizophrenic visions and whatnot were just completely random and completely negative. Mm-hmm. And he noticed that some of his patients like had insightful stuff that would pop up through mm-hmm. their schizophrenic visions. And so that like gave him a hint to start investigating the subconscious a little bit more. And then, like, eventually figured out, like, the, the about the collective subconscious and archetypes and stuff mm-hmm. from his theories. Yeah, dude, that's, a, like, collective subconscious and, like, the idea of just being uh, subconsciously connected to individuals. That's, like, such a interesting well, topic. Yeah, there's a couple different sides to that. Mm-hmm. Because his version of it, you could, you could almost interchangeably call it the inherited subconscious. Mm-hmm. Because, um, like, you're kind of born with these ideas of, like, what mother and father Mm -hmm. and community mean. Well, I mean, other animals are born uh, with that kind of stuff. Like, horses are able to walk from birth. They're just, like, inherently programmed. Exactly. Exactly. And he even realized, like, he started getting into alchemy and stuff. Mm -hmm. But before he... Like, he had ordered a book on alchemy, never read anything about it, and had this really crazy dream. And all of these alchemical signs were popping up in the dream. And he just wrote it down and noted it and didn't know anything particularly about it. And then got the book that he ordered and started reading through it and found those same symbols from his dreams in there. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> awesome. Like, that is so cool. These, <laughs> yeah, so he was figuring out how to describe these premonition isk dreams however yeah. that word is <laughs> and um further developed his idea of what that was but the book i was trying to figure out neuromancer by william gibbs i've never heard, heard of that? that book yeah it is so fucking good you should send that to me it's really really good <laughs> um hopefully there's an audio version <laughs> gibson rewrote the first two-thirds of this book his first novel 12 times and was worried people would think he stole the feel from Blade Runner, which he, ha- which had come out two years earlier. He was convinced I mean, the best artists steal, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the best steal and get the, away with it. <laughs> the best, the best f- form of flattery is imitation. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, he was convinced he would be permanently shamed after it was published. No, oh, man. <laughs> but no, he won like the Hugo Nebula and Philip, Philip K. Dick awards for it. That's awesome. And um, yeah, it's super good. That's one of those books that you rarely find that you just like, I just read it. Had straight a crazy through. impact on you. Yeah. Whenever I thought about reading, it's like, oh, I got to get back to that one. I got to mm-hmm. finish that. And um, yeah, it was super good. Super like 
yeah, just cyberpunk, gritty, sort of seedy underbelly, sort of uh, digital heist stuff going on. Mm-hmm. That's really good. So what are your like favorite aspects of the cyberpunk genre? Like the the anti-capitalistic side of it or like the... Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm into the anarchistic sort of thing. I've definitely got that Like life is meaningless type stuff. Or <laughs> um, anarchistic, the nihilistic thing, which is funny because I just kind of play with nihilism. Oh, that's, um, nihilism scares the fuck out of me. <laughs> I, I play with it, uh, uh, what's the word, like mentally. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, um, I'm not a nihilist by any means, but I like to like jump in and out of that space and yeah, I totally think about that. it. <laughs> um, but also just, just mainly the aesthetic and kind of the near future, like apocalyptic feel because it, we definitely get that feeling with how uh, technology is going and yeah, the like, weird apocalyptic stuff that happens occasionally. Mm-hmm. The connect, so, super, super connectivity of the social media era but still feeling so disconnected from everything yeah and then it's also cool to just see these different ideas of like where it could go like with these different technologies and the artificial intelligence and uploading people's brains and all this stuff that like uh i i it's hard to tell if the fiction has influenced the science or if the science has influenced the fiction. Oh, it's so much because fun, in dude. these <laughs> in these books like Neuromancer that came out in '84 or like Hyperion that started coming out in the '90s, like they have all of these ideas of like uploading your consciousness and like mm-hmm. um, all these different ideas of like uh, um, wetware and being able to give people new bodies and whatnot mm-hmm. like they totally explored all of that and now it's happening <laughs> yeah yeah have you heard about uh, elon musk's what is it called a neural link or something yeah, like that Neuralink. yeah, yeah that about thing that. sounds crazy dude <laughs> that stuff scares me man <laughs> oh it's super scary that's yeah. exactly why i want one <laughs> that yeah being able to like bluetooth with your computer and just no keyboards man and virtual reality that's getting like into some have you played with virtual reality much yeah matthew had a um i can't remember what i think it was oculus he had like the full system controls goggles he had like was it the first one the rift um i don't remember which one it was did it have to connect to the computer and all that yeah yeah that's yeah. the first that's one. the first one okay. they're like so much further advanced than that now yeah i've seen some new stuff online it's like whoa they're, this is um, almost the matrix <laughs> yeah oculus is totally wireless now like so it does all that his did and more mm-hmm. but with like onboard computers and whatnot that is insane. and it just syncs up with your phone and or your computer you think we'll get to a matrix level where nobody is really existing in reality i mean i think we're kind of already yeah, there. already there <laughs> i mean if people are spending five hours on their phones every day <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and that's totally like an elon musk idea of how like we're already cyborgs because we have the computer in our pocket 
Mm. And even yesterday, I was getting the camera on my phone fixed. Mm. And, like, I did have some sense of dread because I had to wait an hour and a half to have it done. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? But then I just got my computer out and I was all good. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, dude, I posted for the first time on Instagram since, like, the 4th of July. And, like, Mm. as soon as I posted, I was, like, swiping, like, who liked it? Who liked it? Who liked it? Yeah. Yeah, Probably spent an hour just watching the likes go up and up, like, what the fuck's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You gotta try and detach from it, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Just forget about it. Distract yourself. Mm. Go eat something. I don't even have notifications turned on for it either. Is the thing. Like, I'm just checking myself like a fucking heroin addict or something. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I want to know exactly who's liking my post. Yeah. Part of me, like, tries to strategize, like, figuring out, oh, if this person liked it, then maybe I could eventually slip into the dms and like get a show at their yeah, gallery yeah yeah i totally <laughs> <that> too. <laughs> something like that trying to come up with these social media schemes mm. which are probably possible yeah um, yeah i mean that is a cool thing like if you have a million followers on instagram somebody's gonna buy your work mm. so that's kind of been one of the goals like just get get more followers do little tricks or whatever to uh i mean not really tricks they're just like techniques of yeah hashtagging particular things yeah. and trying to get featured on other to, like, pages read about the hashtag thing like understanding what's current understand what people are grabbing toward gravitating towards at the moment like mm-hmm. that's just a lot of work <laughs> it's quite a bit um, i just want to be able to make it put it out there <laughs> what you gotta do you only have to do that research once though and then yeah. you just on like your notepad on your device or whatever just keep the list and then you can copy and paste it mm-hmm. but they change the algorithm so much with instagram that like sometimes my stuff is just hidden and some stuff is just yeah i don't understand how any of that works yeah. i've just i do the hashtag things mm. geolocation is yeah. pretty big yeah but people a lot of people follow hashtags now yeah so I've that been doing would that, be yeah. that's one way to kind of get more attention from that Mm. and i don't know i'm experimenting with it probably yeah. just as much as you are <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then uh, you experiment it too much and then you just feel vapid and self-contrived and you're like oh mm. <laughs> yeah there's definitely like a uh masturbatory feeling to just like focusing on your personal brand <laughs> yeah. so much <laughs> mm. <laughs> but yeah you just <laughs> just gotta do what you're doing and silo it yeah be like oh it's only on the, the ipad and don't do you have service on the ipad no it's just wi-fi okay <laughs> yeah i've got service on my tablet so oh you can't do really that work. then <laughs> <laughs> but yeah just localize it whatever mm. man what else what else is there to talk about Oh man, I can go on and on about more sci-fi stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's a rabbit hole for sure. Mm. Hyperion, that's a great book. Dan Simmons is a great writer. But, so, do you um, mostly read sci-fi then? Um, I mostly read nonfiction. To yeah. be completely honest, yeah. like um, I'll usually have one fictional book going, and for a while it was Infinite Jest, which is an infinitely unreachable book. <laughs> it's that like it's just it's an avant-garde piece of literature and it's it 
So it takes like probably a couple hundred pages to even just get the gist of what's happening. And it's just a lot of it's super stream of consciousness y and really hard to grasp. And I don't, <laughs> you, I got to this point where I was like, is there even a purpose? Because I'm probably going to finish this book and be like, oh, wow, there was no conclusion. There was no story <laughs> arcs. Like, God, I just wasted all this Some time. Some stories are like that, man. The writing's great. Mm. But uh, yeah, I just like science fiction. So I like, I eventually just picked up that Hyperion book, the fourth one. I was trying to get back into that one. And um, there's a really interesting plot arc with that, with the Catholic Church. And he basically, well, so yeah, in the story, um, eventually there's like this weird magical item that's on this random far out planet that this priest winds up finding. And it's a crucifix, and these people are, like, implanting the crucifix into their chest, or at least it's the symbol of it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the the people were actually, like, Christian believers. They just stumbled upon this weird artifact. Turned it into some... That is, that's somehow associated... Shamanistic thing. Yeah, and it's somehow associate, associated with, like, this... Uh, um, this creature that's all, like, metal and just kills people but it's protecting this one person and this one person's going on this very like um messiah type quest sort Mm -hmm. of thing so that's all interlinked but once the crucifix gets implanted in someone they can resurrect them Mm -hmm. so then the catholic church was like on its last legs in like 2560 or whatever (laughs) and then this crucifix thing pops up and then they just become like this huge dominating force all over again because mm-hmm. now they can resurrect people and they've got their symbol back. So it's That's really an interesting concept for sure. Okay. Yeah. And it goes, yeah, the, the book just goes through so much. It like spans a few hundred years because there's like this time <laughs> travel <shit>. aspect <laughs> to it. Um, so I've been trying to get back into that and, um, read i'm always got like a carl Jung book open which is like at least an hour time investment to even Mm. get one idea like somewhat digested and then usually got a couple art books and like a history book or something like that in there historical book yeah i'd I'd mostly do nonfiction myself too i like i don't know i've been like playing with ideas of like uh nihilism and stuff like that a lot lately and Mm -hmm. sometimes i just need something a little more uh existential you know something a little more self-fulfilling where people go on this grand journey completely changes their lives you know i like a lot of uh (laughs) a lot of uh epiphany books yeah (laughs) what have you have you been reading anything in particular um I'm reading this book called, uh, written by Jedediah Jenkins called To Shake the Sleeping Self. He rode his bicycle from Oregon to Patagonia. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where, that's in Mexico? Um, it's like Patagonia? way, way oh, south yeah, that's America. way South America. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> in like Chile? Maybe? Yeah, way, way, way down there. Okay. <laughs> At the end of the world. <laughs> it's pretty... I like this one so much more than most... Uh, journey books because it's not a 
he kind of tells it how a journey really is you know it's not all fun it's not all about the journey like euphoria you know Mm -hmm. there's some crazy shit that happens in that book (laughs) i bet yeah (laughs) and uh he's like um i've i've watched a couple interviews about him and he's kind of like this uh he's a gay man that grew up in a pretty religious family and he's like talking about realizing who he is through this journey of this bicycle ride rather than just talking about like seeing cool stuff along the way it's like self-exploration and actually exploring (laughs) Mm -hmm. i don't think you can avoid the self exploration of traveling absolutely i mean there's no way you can and when you see like van lifers on youtube or something you see like oh that looks so cool but they're not like talking about the history of the environment the history of the town that they're in or any Mm -hmm. ideas about traveling or anything it's just all about the the uh, exposition you know yeah i think so (laughs) because traveling like when and when you're around people that you don't know i've read like uh facilitates uh psychological projection Mm -hmm. so you kind of basically project different aspects of yourself on other people oh yeah that you can then read by looking at how you felt about that person Mm -hmm. because usually how you feel about someone isn't quite about who they are like more about time it's more yeah frequently it's a reflection yeah Definitely. Sometimes, sometimes people people have a knack for intuition on intuition with people. Mm-hmm. They probably just pick up, I don't know, subtle movements and whatnot. I'm terrible at that. <laughs> I don't think anyone does it consciously unless no. you're like a, a FBI interrogator, yeah. <laughs> trying to look at the amount of time someone's blinking or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, man, that's a. Uh... That's an interesting concept of like, that's kind of what I want to do with my art is like, I want people to read into it rather than uh, speak about outward about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like definitely want them to get a little bit more introspective on themselves rather than the artist or the ideas that the artist is presenting more like taking. That's why I'm more about doing symbolism in it rather than expressing a actual narrative through it mm-hmm. so you, you're picking up on all these symbols but what are those symbols saying to you yeah yeah have you been to many artist talks like when they do openings of their shows and uh, talk i've been about to a work? few i've been to a few nothing n- super super notable or anything like super yeah. famous people or anything but some smaller artists i've gone to a lot of local ones what would your what was your feelings with that now that you mentioned like not over interpreting your work? Did you see plenty of over interpretation? <laughs> um, well, unfortunately, I don't think I saw enough interpretation. <laughs> oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Um, I kind of like hovered around my work and was trying to eavesdrop on some conversations. You know, you want to know what people are thinking. Oh and yeah. A lot of people are just looking at it aesthetically rather than openly speaking about their Mm -hmm. ideas about it and stuff like that you know mostly compliments not enough exploration yeah (laughs) which i don't know did i fail then (laughs) i don't know i don't think so no i mean what i would 
uh, I mean, my perception of failing is like I went to this artist talk and he was just over explaining everything like he had the exact explanation for every piece of work that he did. Mm-hmm. And that's and what I like, don't want to do. You just like take all of the the interesting juices or whatever out of it that kind of like sparks that uh at least sparks interest for me of mm-hmm. like kind of like what is this? What yeah, is the, this the unknown is so much more interesting than like some crazy exposition about why you did it and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I personally think like, that's what I like so much about the first alien movie <laughs> is that <laughs> it was this ambiguous alien figure, you know, the xenomorph alien body that mm-hmm. so, and Giger's style was so alien compared to all, most uh, alien depictions of the time. Like you don't know what it is, where it came from, what it's doing there. But and with the second one, which I love James Cam- what James Cameron did with the second one, but he kind of, mm-hmm. instead of being this ambiguous alien figure, he kind of turned it into a bug with like a life cycle with a queen alien, the kind of more of a hive mindset rather than uh. this ambiguous intellectual creature that's outside of our understanding, Yeah, which I love the second one still because it's a badass action horror movie. You don't get enough of those anymore. But the I, the concept of the first one is so much more interesting to me. Yeah, I definitely like that little bit of mysticism. Oh, yeah. Like, kind of... Um, like, I can really only speak about my artworks to an extent, but I, I know how I developed, like, the style, mm-hmm. basically. But what it's about... Like, it's taken me a long time to articulate that, even in the vague terms that it has to be in, mm-hmm. because it is kind of like, um, I try to make the pictures as, like, a, a, an invitation to a journey to your subconscious. Mm-hmm. Like, basically. I don't understand artists who can just uh, explain exactly what their piece is about, and you have to interpret it, interpret it that way, otherwise you don't understand it, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> All the none of the greats did that. No, and especially <laughs> like a lot of the greats definitely left it more ambiguous to interpretation, and mm-hmm. like they're also usually a little bit more mature as they come into their artistic identity, and when they get their prowess, they're an older adult, you know. So yeah. they also understand who they are a lot more. And like when you're a young artist, how can you be so positive on what this is? You know, you're still growing, you're still learning. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> how you're are putting you yourself so in positive the box. about it? Yeah. That's what I feel like that's what happens. Mm-hmm. And I really don't want to do that. <laughs> no. I mean, there's positive aspects to it in some situations, you mm-hmm. know, like limiting your palette mm-hmm. and really like trying to explore a medium or a theme mm-hmm. but when you're like philosophically putting yourself in a box yeah yeah when the when idea kind of is in the box fucked. that's when you're fucked but yeah when you put your tools in a box that's a little different <laughs> yeah you gotta have a toolbox yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um i don't know you gotta do you have anything else to add like i'm I think that's been a great conversation. I mean, I could go on and on and on, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'd probably, you'd probably start getting sick of me eventually. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's, let's wrap it up for today. I think we're at 
We're at 95 minutes, 94 minutes. So that's like an hour and a half. That's pretty solid. That's pretty solid. Better than my first, better than I thought my first podcast would go. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, where can people find you? You want to just mention your your social media? Um, yeah. Like that? I'm mas- mostly working on my, mostly posting on my Instagram for my work right now at uh, LSD underscore Lucas Stovall Designs. Nice. That's that's mostly what I'm working on. I have a website and stuff that I, it's up, but I, I'm going to re, redo that. So you don't want to go there. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there before. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks for coming on. It's been great. And yeah, I'll have to have you back sometime. Heck yeah, I'm down. <laughs> Catch you later.